Cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry, I see other guys who use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, September 24th, 2013. Have I ever mentioned that there's nothing great about the great apostasy? I'm telling you, if we're not looking at it, then I hate to think what that thing's going to be like. Thank you for tuning in or listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and sadly... Sadly, sound doctrine is, uh, well, the thing, the last thing you're going to hear in so many, quote, Christian, unquote, churches. Notice I put them in quotes. This is not good. This is not good at all because God's word actually commands that, uh, that pastors and teachers and elders and people in the church must teach what's in accord with sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. And uh, rather than <clears throat> teaching sound doctrine, false doctrine has become the norm. It's being promoted by very prominent people within the visible church, prominent Christians. And sound doctrine is the thing that is getting kicked to the curb. And if you point out that this is the state of affairs in the church, you are likely to be labeled a hater. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's like the sticks and stones can break my bones. Listen, yeah, Christ himself makes it clear in the book of Revelation, uh, in the letter that he wrote, had oh, the, actually the Apostle John write, you know, he <clears throat> dictated it to the Apostle John, to the church in Ephesus in uh, Revelation. And uh, in there, Jesus makes it clear that he... Jesus, this is Revelation chapter 2, hates the uh, the work of the Nicolaitans, which was an antinomian sect. Let me, In fact, let me read uh, portions of Jesus' words to the church at Ephesus. Here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, who have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. Jesus commends the church in Ephesus 
for doing that. Now, the problem with the church at Ephesus is that they had lost their first love. They had lost their love in doing this. But Christ calls them to repent of not having love, but then goes on to say this. uh, Verse 6, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, think about the absurdity of the claim. Just go back for a second with me in in history, and we'll pretend that we're living back in the time when Jesus had this uh, letter written to the church in, uh, in Ephesus, right? And uh, and you, let's pretend that you have a friend who's a Nicolaitan, you know, so we've traveled back in time, and, and you have a friend who's a Nicolaitan, and uh, they hear this sharp rebuke from Jesus, right? And well, what do they say? Well, that Jesus, he's nothing but a hater. <laughs> they would show themselves to be fools, would they not? Of course, Jesus doesn't just kind of sort of dislike, is maybe unhappy-ish when it comes to false doctrine. No, Jesus hates it. That's what he says right here in Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. So, um, yeah, we as Christians are not supposed to just be sort of kind of unhappy, coexist with, you know, uh, false doctrine. No, we're to hate it. Why? Because God has revealed his will to us in his word. And in the book of Titus, you know, I'll continue where I left off yesterday, um, talking about elders. Uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 9, an elder in the church must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Rebuke those who contradict it. And here's the reason why. Verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate. Empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, and they must be silenced. Why? Because they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Now, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So, well, this testimony is true. So, therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Yeah. So uh, since God has made this a high priority, such a high priority that over and again we see these warnings and commands regarding false doctrine, warning about it, commands to rebuke it. Why do you rebuke false doctrine? So that people would be sound in the faith. They brought to repentance and faith in Christ and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, including the sin of teaching false man-made theology. This is God's agenda not mine. This is God's agenda, not yours. This is God's agenda, you know, not any particular individual. So this is what Christ has commanded his Christians to be busy doing. And he affirms that he hates false doctrine. So why then, with all of these clear passages regarding sound doctrine and rebuking false doctrine, warnings about a time that would come when people would not endure sound doctrine, but instead would gather to themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear, why, with all of these warnings in Scripture, would so many Christians 
rebuke those who are rightly pointing out that God's word says this is not right. This is a sin. Why are we putting up with these people who are making merchandise of us and teaching for shameful gain things that they ought not to teach? Why are we putting up with those who are insubordinate to the word of God? Why are we putting up with those who are empty talkers? Why are we giving free reign to deceivers in the church? Christ has told us not to do that. Something to think about. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I have to warn you, today's episode, the first thing we're going to do um, when we get into the program proper is extremely politically incorrect, and I don't care. In fact, the more politically correct, the better. Why? Why? Why do I why would I say something like that? The reason is simple. Is political correctness is a cultural law, if you would. It's not written anywhere. It's not like if you say something that would upset somebody, that that means that the police are going to come and put a black bag over your head, your head and take you to a concentration camp. We're not there yet, but I think we're heading in that direction. You see what I mean? But the fact is is that political correctness is one of these things that has creeped into the culture, and apparently there's a whole bunch of Christians who've bought into it, okay? And the basic premise behind political correctness is, is that somehow you have a God-given right to not be offended. Um, um, because I don't ever see that in God's word, because it's not actually the law of the land, and even if it were, I would not obey it. Um, but because it's not the law of the land, it's some kind of cultural norm that everybody you know, apparently buys into. Because I do not recognize the authority of the culture to tell me I don't have the right to play something or say something that would offend somebody, we're going to lead off today with a very politically incorrect segment from a young lady by the name of Jackie Hill. The segment, uh, we're going to be listening to a Theo poem, if you would, and uh, Jackie Hill is a, is a gifted Christian uh, African-American gal who has got, um, well, let's say she's got a burr under her saddle and she needs to say something and you need to hear it. The name of the segment is called Jigaboo. Now, I don't know what that is. I'm assuming Jigaboo is a bad thing. I'm sure it's a racially and uh, racially charged uh, uh, term. So what? Okay, the gal saying it. Well, she's not me. She's she, and and what she's saying is absolutely the truth. And you need to hear it. And I'm going to pass that along. From there, we're going to uh, move into a segment where basically I'm going to publicly warn you about the religion uh, articles offered at World Net Daily. Uh, in particular, I'm going to cite the fact that World Net Daily is now featuring Sid Roth's um, work. Uh, you know, it's supernatural. Now, Sid Roth is you know is one of those strange, peculiar folks that we've covered from time to time here, and uh, he runs in the same crowd that you would see. Well, the um, Patricia King gang. New Apostolic Reformation and some of the you know lunatic fringe out there in the NAR, but now Sid Roth's stuff is being featured over at World Net Daily, and World Net Daily has been a, for a while now has been a place where religiously 
religiously when it comes to religion, theology, doctrine, and stuff like that is no longer a safe place for you to be getting your religious information from. And this is a proof positive of that. Uh, Joseph Farah is a guy who's bought into the Hebrew Roots movement, and uh, that is problematic at best. Um, there's some strange stuff being featured over at WorldNet Daily when it comes to the religion section. Now, if you want to listen to their news and, and political views and things like that, yeah, you know, I'll let uh, those who know about those things better than I do be the judge of that kind of stuff. But the one thing I do know is theology and apologetics and Christian doctrine. And as a result of my expertise in that field, I'm telling you that if you go to WorldNet Daily and you're reading what they have to offer when it comes to devotional and spiritual and religious stuff, um, you might want to really think hard and think twice about it. I don't, I don't consider uh, their website to be, at this point, a safe place when it comes to those things. And I don't understand that. Um, you know, WorldNet Daily is a place that's supposedly conservative. Conservative is all about, you know, making sure that we rightly understand uh, the Constitution of the United States, that you're not engaging in word games to manipulate the, the, the Constitution in order to, you know, <laughs> promote a socialist and liberal agenda. I'm all for that. In fact, you know, when you talk about conservatives who have a strict constructionist view of the language of the, of the uh, Constitution, I'm one of these guys that sit there and says, yep, that's right. Uh, you know what the uh, the language and what it meant at the time when the framers of the Constitution put that document together. That's what governs our right understanding of it, not some new postmodern word, word game kind of stuff. So I'm all in favor of conservatives, you know, basically standing for a right understanding and application of the Constitution based upon a strict constructionist view of the Constitution. My question is this. Why is it that the Christians who hold to this strict constructionist view don't apply the same thing when it comes to Scripture? And instead, what, we've, what they've done to the Bible is the very thing they're trying to defend against when it comes to the Constitution. I think this is a valid question to be asking. And then we'll take our break when we come back. I think we have a Jesse Duplantis update, but I also have a news story that I want to read um, <clears throat> from the, uh, the creators of the Bible. Yeah, you remember the creators of the Bible? Yeah, we've covered it. Um, that's the uh, miniseries, the Bible, that was uh, airing on the History Channel around the Easter season of this year. Well, um, Roma Downey and her husband have uh, weighed in regarding the Pope's uh, recent comments regarding homosexuality. And uh, I've got a, a news story that I want to pass along regarding that. And then in hour number two, we're going to be listening to a sermon that my question is, what on earth does this have anything to do with Christianity, sound doctrine, or, or uh, our sanctification as Christians? It comes from LifeChurch.tv, Craig Rochelle, uh, giving, his, uh, giving a sermon on friendship. So that's going to round out our uh, program today. And since this next segment, the, I don't have any update music that would go along with it, I just want to tell you what you're about to hear needs to be heard. This is Jackie Hill and her Theo poem. This is not, not from a church, by the way. I'm not sure where she performed this, but this was not at a church. Um, this is uh, Jackie Hill and her Theo poem called Jigaboo. Again, politically incorrect, and you need to hear what this young lady has to say because she is speaking the truth. Turn to your neighbor and tell him to listen to this poem. Turn to your other neighbor and tell him to listen to this poem. What has happened to us, church? Why do we do what every person that stands behind the mic says without investigating the fruit first? 
The truth hurts, but I'm here to slice you up with a sword, mangle into poetic words so that we can start being real Christians again instead of jigaboos. Yeah, I said it. Jigaboos. People with a holy facade like a white face painted over their Negro-colored heart, sitting in the back of their busted insides, tap, dancing, shouting, and singing for human praises like our ancestors who did it for quarters, nickels, and dimes. You are still enslaved, church. Instead of getting excited about the glory of God, we'd rather be entertained like human iPods touched by everything that makes love to our five senses. If it looks, smells, tastes, feels, sounds right, it must be right, just right, wrong. Just because you feel tingly on the inside with someone is singing or speaking just like your heart is bleeding pop rocks doesn't mean that they're anointed. It just means that you're emotionally inclined to base reality on how you feel instead of the truth. When you go to the grocery store and pick up a piece of fruit, you examine it to see if it's rotten, right? You smell it, turn it around in your hands, press your fingers against its skin to see if it's ripe. But even though we are called to do the same thing that every person that stands behind a mic and claims to speak on behalf of God, we don't because of our need to be entertained instead of the need for our flesh to be beaten up in maimed. We continue to sit back and eat rotten fruit. When will we stop buying preachers that are expired? But if you don't study to show yourself approved, it makes perfect sense for you to approve of any and every fool that preaches heresy, sprinkle with a little truth, because sound teaching doesn't seem to matter anymore as long as he can preach good, right? Hand gripping the mic, screaming into the crowd, breathing all hard in between every word, like he's having a heart attack, organists and drummers already in position to play the soundtrack to this spectacle that we want to call worship. But even Apostle Paul said that his preaching was plain and void of clever and persuasive words so listeners' faith would not be based on human wisdom but in the power of God. What is happening to us, church? There are preachers and prophets in the pulpits profiting off prophecies that profit me. Nothing. No correction, no rebuke, no call to repentance. Just a new house, a new call, more blessings and even more reasons not to submit and you wonder why your ears can't stop itching. Because your body has been infected with sin and Jesus Christ is your prescription. But instead of you cleaning out the old man residue with Q-tips covered in conviction, producing repentance, you rather hide behind your old Negro spiritual worship songs because you can't stand the master's whippings. These men, these men have pasted cotton balls over their gray fur to fool the masses. Matter of fact. Some of them are your pastors. You think they are sheep in their side. They are ravenous wolves with evil eyes, skinning the faith of the saints with their teeth. Don't blame the wolf for biting its prey, little red riding hoods. You're the one that lets your discernment cease. I hear more about me being the head and not the tail, being above and not beneath. Than I do about the exegesis of Jesus. These preachers are feeding us Dr. Phil sermons disguised as truth. Oprah Winfrey philosophies. How many of you actually believe you can speak things into existence? Yet when I search the scriptures, I see that that was a power that belonged to God and God alone. They say, I speak called. You say, I receive. They say, I speak healing. You say, I receive. God says, die to yourself. <laughs> Silence. It's crazy how the highest praise is only sent up when our flesh is getting pleased. What happened to our flesh getting weak? What happened to us sincerely falling to our knees and asking the Lord to show us the parts of us that make him want to heed? But we'd rather throw up our hands and puke out unknown tongues without an interpreter to even tell us what spiritual door the tongues broke through from. I'm done holding my tongue. I'm sick of biting my lip. No wonder. 
Unbelievers can't see the truth like Stevie staring at the results of a lie detector test because without order and the church the blind stay bound and confused and as long as the body of Christ continues to live like walking flashbacks of Amistad and roots those with spiritual blindfolds choking the death out of their souls will never be able to see God because the one being exalted is you but my God will not be mocked again for you he became a slave for you, beaten and maimed for you, whipped at least 41 times with lead tips ripping into the back of the creator of skin. His holiness colored with your sin and they drank from the water fountain of God's wrath that has tasted as hateful as a cup full of Jim Crow and until you die on a cross for all of mankind no human being on planet earth will ever understand true segregation like the son experienced when he felt forsaken Christ died so you could be a new creation so loose yourself from that noose saturated in religion are you listening you are unknowingly dangling from the tree of the Pharisees but even the Pharisees saw that going backwards and forwards like a sea saw would only give more room for God's light to expose their hearts so choose which side you will be on because no one can serve two masters in 1865 the 13th amendment proclaimed that slavery shall no longer exist in the United States 2,000 years ago Jesus Christ, a death abolished our spiritual shackles and chains, but too many of us have gotten comfortable with our religious traditions and superstitions that we remain enslaved while still proclaiming that we are free. Many of you don't even realize your jigaboos. People with a Christian personality oblivious to your slave mentality. Even Harriet Tubman was quoted in saying, I freed a thousand slaves and I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. So... Instead of tap dancing and shouting to the beat of your own drum, get on your knees, put your face to the ground where all you can see, hear, taste, and smell is repentance and belief. And all you can feel is a spirit of God, million man, marching you into an underground railroad, not filled with those that have been trained. But those of us who are willing to discard our religious chains and trade in our quarters, nickels, and dimes for true change because our Savior is here and he has came to set the captives free. Now that was 200 proof truth. Yeah, did it step on some toes? Did it step on yours? She was speaking the truth. And this young lady needs to be heard. She needs to be heard everywhere within evangelicalism, not just the black church, because what she's describing is an epidemic that, that basically impacts and affects every single church and church body and church organization in America. Now, talking about false doctrine and putting up with wolves that are making merchandise of you, I need to do this, although normally I save this music for uh, the Patricia King gang. In this particular case, what you're about to hear is prominently featured over at World Net Daily. So let me do this. So, um, have you purchased your, um, Sid Roth, uh, soaking, a spiritual soaking kit? Well, if not, um, if you are a regular subscriber to World Net Daily, then, uh, then you know that, uh, Sid Roth is now somebody who's featured over at World Net Daily's religion section. And what you're about to hear is pretty much a 28 minute long infomercial 
for a soaking kit. Um, and when you hear what's going on here and what's being promoted here and how it's how what's being promoted is relying on a complete twisting of God's word and not a practice taught in scripture. Uh, my question for the folks over at WorldNet Daily and Joe Farah is why are they endorsing this rank heresy uh, from wolves who are making merchandise of Christians? That's my question. I think it's a question worth asking. You can find this over at WorldNet Daily. Just go to uh, the lost art of soaking in God's presence. If you go, if you are somebody who subscribes to WorldNet Daily, just type the lost art of soaking in God's presence, or um. Just type in Sid Roth in the search uh, field there at WorldNet Daily, and you can find this. But let me play for you uh, this 30-minute-long infomercial over at WorldNet Daily, which basically makes me wonder uh, if any religious crackpot can uh, sell whatever he wants over at WorldNet Daily uh, for the right price, if you know what I mean. But uh, let's listen in as Sid Roth tries to tell us, uh, you know, with his inter- interview with a gal by the name of Julie True, uh, how God wants you to soak in his presence. Here we go. Hello. Welcome to my world where it's naturally supernatural. You say, Sid, have you lost it? No, I walk around with pillows all the time under my arm. Some of you have teddy bears. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just teasing. But we're doing something interactive that I don't know if it's ever been done before. I am going to mentor you in the lost art of soaking. Really? Mentor me in the lost art of soaking? Don't you think if God wanted us to soak, God's word would teach it? And I've asked my friend Julie True, and if you've never heard her music, you're in for quite a treat. The presence of God is so strong. I thought, what if I could get Julie True, who is a New Covenant psalmist, and the presence of God that has been in our studio since we've been here, combine the two, and... I want you to grab a pillow because in the third segment, you are going to soak and we're going to mentor you on how to soak. And by the way, I'm not the only one, Meshuggah. That's a Hebrew word that means crazy. I got a whole studio full of Meshuggah people, don't I? <laughs> Is there a supernatural dimension? A world beyond the one we know. Is there life after death? Do angels exist? Can our dreams contain messages from heaven? Again, just a reminder, I'm playing this off of WorldNet Daily. We tap into ancient secrets of the supernatural. Are healing miracles real? Sid Roth has spent over 35 years researching the strange world of the supernatural. Join Sid for this edition of It's Supernatural. Hello, Sid Roth here with Julie True. And uh, Julie, I have to tell you, your music... Uh, it literally, I believe, it's changing DNAs 
of people. I mean, in their spirit, in their soul, and in their body. What does that mean? Changing DNAs of people in their spirit, soul, and body. Uh, But especially more and more people are talking about a concept called soaking and but most people have never even heard what uh, heard about soaking as far as what it really means they've heard the term but they don't know what it means what is- now got to stop him right there if god wanted us to quote soak don't you think the bible would teach us how to soak but since it doesn't Nobody knows about it. There's a reason why, because this is not a biblical practice. This is rank mysticism. Soaking me to you. Well, it's a time of rest. It's a time uh, to quiet your mind, be awakened in your spirit. And it's time to be still and know that he is God. You know, in our soaking times, anyway, um, it's not like we have the the only definition necessarily of, of soaking, but... In our soaking room, we, um, it's not a time to pray. It's not a time to worship um, out loud. It's not a time to pray in tongues and, you know, be doing something. It's a time to... Re- so it's not a time to pray, think, or anything like that. You just get into an altered state of consciousness and, you know, have an, an experience. Again, where is this taught in Scripture? Oh, yeah, it's not. You know, that's a hard thing for us here in America to do, (laughs) not do anything. Uh, Just be still before God. We were talking before we went on the air uh, about uh, Samuel and how he would... He would literally soak. Explain that. Now, before they get to Samuel and him soaking, let me read the passage that they will be referencing. The passage is found in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now, I'll start at verse 1. And we're talking about Samuel when he was a young boy, when he was serving before the Lord in the tabernacle, when Eli was the high priest. So let's take a look and we'll read the passage and see if it teaches us to, quote, soak. First uh, Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple, the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was. <clears throat> Which, by the way, I mean, if I'm understanding this correctly, he's sleeping in a place where he shouldn't be, but yet he's sleeping there nonetheless. Kind of let you know what, you know, how observant of what the Torah said um, uh, uh, Eli was. I mean, if I'm getting this right, Samuel's in the Holy of Holies, right? So then the Lord called to Samuel. So this is where Samuel sleeps at night. He's not soaking. This is where his bed is. Okay, then the Lord called Samuel and said, and he said, here I am. And, and, And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. So the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, and you called me. He said, No, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So this is we're talking about a prophetic calling here. And the Lord called to Samuel again in the, th- the third time, and he rose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. If he calls you, you shall say, speak, 
Yahweh, speak, Lord, for your servant hears or is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. In other words, his bed. And so the Lord came and stood, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever." Samuel lay down until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. And Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you, um, do so to you and more if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from what, from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems Good. Okay? So we're talking about at this point God coming to Samuel and giving him a prophetic vision, a prophetic pronouncement regarding his judgment against Eli. This passage, 1 Samuel chapter 3, has absolutely nothing, nothing whatsoever to do about soaking. This isn't a description of of soaking. This isn't even not even close to a prescription for what it is that Sid Roth and Julie True are talking about. This has nothing to do with soaking. Uh, Julie True is not speaking us, speaking the truth to us here. Yeah, I think that was the same thing. It's resting in the presence of the Lord. And when he heard God calling him, you know, he, he, he said, um, what are you saying? He said, here, I, here am I, I'm listening. And I feel like that is a... That is the same way with soaking. It's like a time when you be still. You are still and you can hear God talking to you and you get lots of revelation. That now, when people, when people soak uh, uh, in your soaking center, uh, what types of things happen to them? We hear many kinds of testimonies, but um, some of them are people being healed of insomnia, babies being able to sleep that have their schedules turned around, people with Alzheimer's being greatly improved, um, you know, emotional healing, healing from mental illness. Now, this, by the way, is the setup for the product sale, and you'll hear that in a minute. Physical types of healing. We had some amazing testimonies about people's blood pressure that stabilized as they were listening to my music and on with their vital signs being read and things like that. So, you know what? I don't want Julie to just tell you what happens to other people. I want it to happen to you. Julie, if you would go to our music set. And I want you to worship God, and I want that same presence that Samuel was baking under in the temple. That same presence that Samuel was baking under. What does that mean? To come upon you. Because I believe that 
as you soak, you prepare your heart to receive something special from uh, really, you believe that. So as you soak, you prepare your heart to receive something special from the Lord. I'm glad you believe that, Sid, but where does the Bible say this? God. And the third segment, you get a pillow ready, and you are going to actually, the whole third segment, we're going to have you soak before God, and you will be changed truly true. Now, I'm convinced that there is some soaking going on here, but it's not the kind of soaking that they would lead you to believe is what's going on. In fact, they're they're basically getting ready to soak you for some money. And to prove my point, I'm going to play for you a commercial here in the middle of this infomercial of Sid Roth's. Here we go. Supernatural. Now you can join Sid Roth and other worshipers every day through this anointed DVD filmed in our It's Supernatural Media and Mentoring Center as Julie True brings the atmosphere of heaven and supernatural peace right into your home. Call now and get Julie True's brand new soaking worship kit, including two of her anointed music audio CDs. Let my Now, does this sound familiar to you, any of you longtime listeners of Fighting for the Faith? If not... During the break, I'm going to play our Max Holiday sketch uh, where we have the anointed Shofar CD. Okay, see if you notice any similarities. The, you know, this is basically they're soaking going on here. They're going to soak you for some money. Um, you know, but none of this, none of this is taught anywhere in Scripture. And when you listen to uh, you know the uh, the commercial break, when we go into our first commercial break, listen to the Max Holiday sketch that we d- that put together regarding the uh, Rabbi Somebody's uh, anointed shofar CD, and you'll notice a, a, a direct parallel going on here. What's going on? Well, they're teaching for shameful gain things that they ought not to teach. We continue. Life be worship and I release plus her powerful over one hour and 45 minute exclusive soaking DVD worship 24 7 yours for a donation of $40 shipping and handling is included ask for offer number 9201 people listening to Julie's music report physical and emotional healing deliverance from demonic activities and addictions freedom from trauma depression and even suicide healing of sleep disorders experiencing the glory and presence of God receiving supernatural peace every morning, I either soak or pray in tongues to Julie True's music. Your DNA is going to change. Don't miss out on God. My DNA is going to change from listening to this $40 soaking CD. Julie True's brand new soaking worship kit. Yeah, the brand new soaking worship kit. You get get what's going on there, right? You understand that this is basically uh, one big, long infomercial uh, that they paid to uh, take out over at World Net Daily, which basically you know begs the question: um, What is it that uh, World Net Daily is uh, doing over there in the religion section? Why would they allow this rank making merchandise of people with false doctrine and false teaching and false methods? Why would they be promoting this on their website? Now, to kind of give you a little bit more of a flavor of what it is that's going on in this uh, this thing over at World Net Daily. Let's continue listening, listening as Sid Roth tells us uh, you know, uh, uh, more about his theology. Here we go. You know, many of my guests, especially that move in the miraculous, have been saying one of the keys for moving the miraculous is worship. Uh, for instance, I think of uh, Benny Hinn. Uh, Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn, really? 
Um, it, yeah, um, Benny Hinn is as phony as a $3 bill. He is one of the primary wolves out there fleecing people in the name of God and promising them miracles, and it's all just one big flim-flam show. He doesn't move in the miraculous. He moves in the scandalous. He moves in the... Um, uh, in the criminal, you, you get what I'm saying? He's going to have a lot of explaining to do to Christ on the day of judgment. Uh, if you've ever gone to one of his miracle services, worship is the thing that causes the miracles to happen. Oh, yeah. So worship is the thing that causes the miracles to happen at a Benny Hinn miracle show. Yeah, no. Um, those aren't real miracles. They're false miracles. They're faux miracles. And they're designed to fleece people and make Benny Hinn a very, very, very wealthy man. What is this stuff doing over at World Net Daily? I mean, they, they, this is a conservative website. Conservative when it comes to politics, but when it comes to religion, they're worse than liberals. They're deceptive. And the reason why that is makes them more dangerous than liberals is this, is because bad politics, yeah, that, that won't send you to hell. But false doctrine will. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Um, well, we've got some other stuff to cover. We've got a, a Jesse Duplantis. We've got a Bobble update. And um, during the break, we'll be listening to Sid Roth promoting a Shofar CD. Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If your Bible says this. Jesus is alive. They tried to kill him, but they failed. Then pick up the real thing and listen to Pirate Christian Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as 
Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet earth don't miss out on getting both rabbi michael zeitler's anointed audio cd sound of the shofar plus his brand new prophetic book why israel is supernatural for a donation of 25 dollars, shipping and handling is included ask for offer number 9081 call or write today Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, try to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted... It's a Star Trek uniform, but it's red. What are you trying to say? It was the only colored wool fabric I had. Uh, try it on. It's uh, really itchy. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. All right, we're back. Uh, warning, anybody offering you supernatural soaking CDs or CDs with Rabbi Zeitler um, blowing the shofar to heal you of demonic oppression and stuff like that is fleecing you. Just a reminder, boy, I hate to have to 
do this at this point, especially after I'm making a point about how people fleece the flock. But listen, there is n- there is not a lot of money to be made in sound doctrine and exposing false doctrine. We here at Pirate Christian Radio run a very tight ship, and we have an extremely low budget on purpose because we think it's important for us to be around. Uh, but uh, if you w- if you're finding in listening to Fighting for the Faith, you are growing in your discernment growing in your biblical understanding of how to rightly handle God's Word and are being set free from false teachers and those who are manipulating God's Word and making merchandise of you, well, please consider supporting us. I absolutely guarantee that I cannot promise you that anything spectacular will happen to you. Listening to Fighting for the Faith will probably not cure you of insomnia or anything of the sort. But what it can do is well, free you from the slavery to false doctrine and false teachers and help you understand what God's Word really says and really teaches. So if you don't already support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, the way you do that is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we're doing without it. And just a reminder that currently we are in the middle of our fall bake sale. Uh, And... (laughs) You know, talk about a low-budget operation. Yes, we have bake sales here at Fighting for the Faith. Now, I haven't baked cookies or anything like that, but we've had a very generous listener help us uh, raise uh, money to keep Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio on the air by making T-shirts for us. So these were uh, created by Pastor Daniel Price, who we've had on the show here before. And uh, and if you would like to see the T-shirt, maybe purchase the T-shirt in order to support us financially to keep us going so we can keep doing our work here, go to piratechristianradio.com. Not fighting for the faith, but piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale. All one word. And you can see the this year's design and get yourself or you know or, or others you know this year's copy of our uh, of our T-shirt so that we can uh, keep going here at Fighting for the Faith. And let me again thank you for your support. We cannot do what we're doing without it. Moving along. Yeah, when was the last time we played this? Oh, it's a, it's a bobble update. Ugh. See, I'm getting nervous and shaking just thinking about having to do this segment. If I can reach the stars, pull one down to you, shining on my heart, so you could see the truth. Yeah. 
Yeah. By the way, um, the uh, the Great Commission is to go out and make disciples, not make a difference or change the world. Just got to remind everybody of that. Um, from the uh, Fox News website, the headline reads, The Bible Creators uh, Praise the Pope for Pro-Gay Comments and Talk uh, uh, Series Success. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, this kind of gives you a clue as to the theology of uh, Roma Downey and her husband, uh, the creators of the Bible. The uh, story reads, Dateline Los Angeles, last week Pope Francis made headlines when he stated that the Catholic Church has become too focused on small-minded rules regarding controversial issues like homosexuality. And Roma Downey, the co-creator of the History Channel's mega-success, the Bobble, is praising his message. Quote, I think the Pope is a real blessing to the world, she told Fox 411 at the Hollywood Reporter's uh, soiree to celebrate the Emmy, uh, the Emmys and the new fall season of television. Quote, he's brought, us, he's brought in some new hope, healing and grace with his desire to focus on loving each other. And surely that is what Jesus taught us. I think he's a Pope of hope. <laughs> <clears throat> Downey, along with her famed reality producer Mark Burnett, lined up their own finances to produce the mega rating success, the miniseries The Bobble, for the History Channel. I can't, read, I can't continue reading this. So you get the point, right? Um, <clears throat> yeah, the, the uh, Roma Downey, um, the creator of The Bobble, uh, which, by the way, we did an extensive week-by-week <clears throat> critique here at Fighting for the Faith. I absolutely took this thing to task in its complete rewriting of the Bible, and I refuse to refer to it as the Bible. It's the bobble. Uh, they really bobbled it. You know, think of fumble, if you would, in football. And the fact that Roma Downey is, oh, thinking that Fr- Francis is the Pope of hope because of his pro-gay, is, is the way Fox News put it, pro-gay comments, um, <clears throat> should tell you something about the theology that you can expect and you should be looking for and st- avoiding like the plague in the, um, <clears throat> in the bobble. Anyway, you get the point. Moving along. Oh, yes, I'm the great pretender. <laughs> That's right. This is a new song we've put into our rotation for, uh, Money-grubbing televangelist types. My need is such I pretend too much I'm lonely But no one can tell Oh, yes I'm the great pretender Adrift in a world of my own I play The Platters and the Great Pretender. Uh, like I said, new song that we've put into the rotation here at Fighting for the Faith when we're covering money-grubbing televangelist types, if you would. And what we're going to be listening to uh, today uh, is a, a segment from a recent, well, not that recent, but uh, appearance on TBN of Jesse Duplantis's, um <clears throat> television program and um and and take a look at the message that he has here this is a uh, part of his visionary leadership series that he did on his uh, program about you know dreaming the impossible and stuff like that and uh, what you're going to find here is uh, not a lot of sound doctrine 
but instead um, feel-good messages, a you know, feel-good message that really doesn't tell us about Jesus and what the Bible says, but instead, and well, it tells us about Jesse Duplantis. Yeah, to explain, here's Jesse Duplantis. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jesse Duplantis. Thank you for tuning in today to the Voice of the Covered Television Telecast. We're going into part two of our Visionary Conference special. I'm telling you, you're going to be blessed. Call a friend, tell them to turn that television on. They're going to learn something today to defeat the devil in their life. We're going to be preaching something entitled The How-Tos of Believing the Unbelievable and Getting It. Think about that. Getting what you believe in. And it's going to be blessed. Let's go right now into the... Getting what you believe in, huh? Getting it, huh? Hmm, hmm. Message you can be ministered to by the power of Jesus' name. You must find ways to expand your vision, your influence, and your contribution. You must find ways to expand your vision. Hmm. Where in the Bible does it talk about my need to expand my vision? Hmm, I'm not familiar with that passage now, Jesse. Maybe you should, like, open your Bible or something. You know what I mean? The influence part I've always struggled with. I'm really, I, I love people, but I'm actually a loner. I really am a loner. People say, but Judge, you love it. That's true. But I, I, I'm actually a loner. I, I, I don't have a lot of friends. I mean, I, and I'm... Yeah, why aren't you opening your Bible there, Jesse? Um, yeah, <clears throat> You know what he sounds like? Um, what's that character from the Looney Tunes, the, the, the rooster character? Foghorn Leghorn. That's who he sounds like. You know, I keep my, I keep my feathers numbered for just such an emergency. Um, but he's not telling us anything about what the Bible says. He just says we need to learn how to expand our vision and you know, things like that. Yeah. Okay, Foghorn, um, please explain this from the Bible, but I don't think he's going to. He's going to tell us about mm, his life. I'm so busy all the time because friends are made. They're not just asked for. And there's a lot of people I can't be comfortable with. A lot of people don't believe that, but that's true. And, and all of a sudden, God would put me, and, 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 and my influence would begin to grow, and i go, no, I would just prefer to walk in and walk out. I just prefer to do this and do that. I, I, I'm not looking for the limelight. Every time I ever went to it, I went straight to the back. And I'd sit down in the back. First time I went to a Kenneth Copeland minister, I sat in the back. And Barry Tubbs came get me. He said, Brother Copeland, won't you in the front? I said, no, no. Me and Kathy just come to sit here. We just want to hear the word of God. That's fine. Man. You know, no, he said, uh, Brother Copeland, won't you in the front? I don't want to lose my job, so get up. <laughs> he goes sit in front. So I sat in front next to Jerry Savelle. He said, and Jerry goes, how you doing? I said, how you doing? Yeah, he's fine. He, says, he said, the Lord told me you're going to preach this afternoon. I said, what you say? <laughs> the Lord told me you're going to preach this afternoon. Okay. I said, Kathy. She said, you got anything? Oh, yeah. I always got something. But I wasn't planning on doing that. See, God was opening doors that I couldn't open and all doors got doorknobs, but the ones that are gods are like them supermarket doors. Before you get there, but what's so wonderful, they close behind you. Um, again, what, what text says this? Which means nobody can hit you from the rear. And sure enough, I preached that afternoon. Some of y'all might have been there at that minister's conference. And Kenneth Cope walking to me, he says, Dresser, you know, he kind of. I want to show you something. Of course, me and Jerry, we do this all the time because we've been preaching together for years. 
I wanted to preach on this verse of scripture in my notes. And I was going to deal with that. And that's the exact scripture you preached on. He says, welcome to the team. I said, what team? He said, you with us. I said, I am? He said, yeah. Jerry said, just believe him because he ain't changing his mind. He said, you with the team, you with the team. I said, okay. And Brother Colton get these revelations. We're going all over the world. And you going with me. Oh, okay. Where are we going? Cold Bay, Alaska. What's in Cold Bay, Alaska? Seals, penguins, and Arctic foxes. Cold. Cold. Y'all want to stay at the big hotel or the small hotel? Well, what's the difference? Well, the big hotel got seven rooms and the small hotel got three rooms. Me and Jerry said, well, we'll stay at the big hotel. But it's only got two bathrooms. Now, I know where I am in the pecking order. <laughs> so I know Brother Colton going to get a bathroom. And Jerry going to get a bathroom. <laughs> I said, I ain't got a bathroom. Jerry said, how much money you got? I said, a lot. I, I, I just want to use your bathroom. So I'd have to run down. The, I had to run down to Jerry's bathroom. And it's so cold that the sewer lines froze over. But Brother Copeland said to go to Cold Bay, Alaska. 50 below zero. And me- yeah, and uh, Kenneth Copeland is a word of faith heretic, not a brother in Christ. He and Jerry want to take a picture. And Brother Copeland said, are y'all the stupidest people that ever lived on the planet? Get in the plane, fools. And that's me and Brother. Go ahead, Jerry. Take a picture real fast. Wait. Yeah, all right. Okay, he said, take one of me, Jesse. Wait, wait. I, I, I get it. Brother Copeland goes, I'm stupid, but what are y'all crazy? And in those meetings, I begin to expand my vision, my influence, and my contribution. Really, um, how do you expand your vision, influence, and contribution? I, I'm not seeing that. What does that even mean? Where does the Bible talk about such things? Now, Jesse is going to continue in his message here, but I've got to fast forward it just a smidge so that we can get back to what he was saying. But notice the technique here. What's the technique? He tells us something that God wants us to do and then immediately launches into a personal anecdote, not telling us anything that what God's Word really says in context. This isn't biblical teaching. This isn't biblical exegesis. This is biblical nonsense, if you would. I'm all the while claiming that, you know, this message is something that God really needs for you to hear. Well, if it was a message that God needed me to hear, then why didn't he have it recorded by Moses, one of the prophets, one of the apostles? Uh, Why didn't Jesus mention any of this stuff during his earthly ministry? If, uh, we were really supposed to know all this, and this is a message that God really wants you to hear, then don't you think it would show up in the written word of God? Doesn't, now does it? Well, let's continue listening to Jesse because it's just, you know, oh, so fun. Here we go. Let me 
take. I don't care if you're 8 years old or 80 years old. Let me say it again. Dreams have no expiration dates. Your vision has been designed to be a blessing to you in your life and to be a blessing to God Almighty. That's why the Visionary Leadership Conference is so important. That's why we do it. We keep it short so you can enjoy some nice food here in New Orleans. You're blessed by it, but you're getting some spiritual food too. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm starting to preach. I can't help myself. Now, let's go back to the program where we're dealing with the dangers of debating your vision and asking the world what they think about your vision. So I want you to sit right there and watch this. Every one of you people should have a vision. As I've said so many times before, if you're not talking about your vision, your vision is talking about you. What? So if I'm not talking about my vision, my vision's talking about me. That doesn't even make any sense. Which means if you're not accomplishing your vision, your vision saying you lazy. Then you're not willing to do whatever it takes to complete what God has called you to do. In other words, there's a responsibility when you ask the Lord, what will you have me to do? Then the next... Yeah, um, again, where in the Bible does it say as, you know, as Christians, we're all supposed to receive a direct vision that we're supposed to accomplish and do in our lives? I'm not familiar with that passage. Step is obedience to what God says. I call it the moment of truth. Now write this down if you're taking notes. When God speaks a vision, it should never be debated. Debates cause this discussion. So when God gives you a vision, don't debate it. Okay. Um, where in the Bible does it say this again? And decision makes choices. When God gives you a vision, it should never be debated. And you should never ask the world what they think. When God gave me the vision of my ministry, when God called me to preach the gospel, I told him I wasn't qualified. I was good at sinning if you needed. Um, you're not preaching the gospel. You're preaching complete nonsense and basically pinning it on God, which is blasphemy. The sinner, to stay sinning, I can help you in that department. But I don't know nothing other than a nomine patria fili, a spiritu santo, or sing a couple of songs. Even though I was around religion, I was around God all the time. I never had a moment of truth until Labor Day weekend 1974 when I got born again. Yet I was too young for God to give me a moment of truth of destiny and destination. So I began to read the word of God. Kathy said I was called, but I said, you just love me. That's your problem. I'm not called. I'm going to be a good church member. People need good church members. I'll be loyal. I will do whatever it takes. You see... And, I, and when God began to... Yeah, here we go again, um, him telling his life stories. Uh, if you know, have you noticed any biblical passages yet on this important stuff that God wants us to hear? Speak to me. The first thing I said, he says, I want you to go and minister. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you have made a mistake. Jesus, I won't tell nobody, but you have made a mistake. It's no way possible. I'm not qualified. I don't even like preachers. I don't want to be a preacher. He said, we have a debate here. And I immediately understood. And I said, God, forgive me. What will thy have me to do? I didn't know Saul of Tarsus had said that. I didn't know Saul of Tarsus at all. I thought it was kind of weird to have a name Saul anyway. What do you want me to do? He did the same thing to me as he did to Saul before he was Paul. Arise. 
I'm going to tell you, you got to do this. Go, go. Yeah, uh, really. So, um, wow. God appeared to you like he appeared to Saul of Tarsus. That would make Jesse Duplantis like Peter or Paul or and one of the other apostles, wouldn't it? No biblical text here, just his life stories uh, basically being palmed off as if this is Christian doctrine. Go here, go there, and I will show you in the way. And I said, I've been in the way all my life. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to pray. I don't know none of that. I've been around it a lot, but I don't know none of it. But the moment of truth had come. In January 1976, the first week of January, when the Lord said, it's time for you to go in ministry. A moment of truth. I knew, well, if I'm going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, God, do you understand? I don't know what to do. He said, isn't that wonderful? Because if you made a mistake. Yeah. So, um, okay. So God's talking directly to Jesse to plant. We don't need a Bible. We just need to hear Jesse tell us about the things that God directly revealed to him. See the problem? You wouldn't know you made a mistake because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so you shall walk by faith and not by sight. You, I, I love it when I don't know what to do because I'm walking by faith and not by sight. I'm walking when God gives me a revelation and I hadn't studied it out. I, I said, God, it's not homiletical. It's not hermeneutical. It's not philosophical. It's, it's not theological. He says, walk by faith and not by sight. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, this, this, and this. I said, that makes no sense, but you don't deal with sense. You deal with faith. And I start walking. When God told me to build debt free, I said, Jesus, how can you do How can you build a building without going to a bank? How can you buy a car without mortgage? How can you do all that? And you say, I was trying to pay for it instead of believe it. Do you see what I'm saying? I was beginning to debate and then I made a mistake. I went and talked to other people about what God told me to do. You notice that negative information is always free. Now, this is weird. As I was looking at the audience shot that they just had there, there were people with an, with open Bibles and a notepad out, and the notepad was sitting over the Bible, and they were writing. Clearly, they're not reading anything out of the biblical text because there's nothing here that's coming from the biblical text. <clears throat> I'd belabor the point, um, but you get what's going wrong here, don't you? This isn't sound doctrine. This is a man telling us his life stories and in basically pinning all of this false doctrine that he's teaching on the one true God. And like I've pointed out before, this is the very definition of what it means to blaspheme the name of God, to ascribe to him things that he hasn't said, to you know claim revelation from him that he hasn't revealed. This isn't the biblical faith. This isn't biblical doctrine. This has nothing to do with Christianity. This has absolutely nothing to do with Christian sanctification. These are the tactics of those who make merchandise of Christians in order to make money, teaching for shameful gain things that they ought not to teach. Okay, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're going to be listening to a Craig Rochelle sermon that has a lot of common ground with what you just heard from Jesse Duplantis. Yeah, that's true. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. 
Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Oh, yay. I've always wanted two tin cans and a string. It's one of those communicated devicey thingies. Now you can talk to your friends of a long... Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Now, before we went into the um, second break, I made the claim that what you're going to be hearing today from Craig Rochelle is going to have a lot of common ground with what you just heard from Jesse DePlantis. And what I mean by that is that you're going to hear a lot of stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible, just personal experiences and, you know, stuff, information you can get from just about anywhere. Yes, let's do this right, though. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via LifeChurch.tv. Craig Rochelle presiding. Uh, They're out of Oklahoma City, out there in Oklahoma. The name of the sermon that we're going to be reviewing is entitled Friending Part 1, The Foundation of Friendship. And as you listen to this... 
I will be pointing out along the way that we're not dealing with biblical doctrine. We're not dealing with Christian sanctification. We're not dealing with sound doctrine. We're not dealing with really anything the Bible teaches, really. We're just dealing with ideas that uh, Craig Rochelle thought would be helpful for the people out there at LifeChurch.tv. But isn't the job of a pastor to, you know, preach the word? In season, out of season, because the time's going to come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but instead will gather to themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. It makes me wonder if what we're hearing here is exactly that. People who've gathered to themselves a teacher like Craig Rochelle who will tell them what they want to hear rather than tell them about our crucified and risen Savior. Let me go ahead and kill the music, and without any further ado, here's um, uh, Friending Part 1 from LifeChurch.tv. Here we go. Okay, thanks for coming to our friend tryouts. Uh, we just have a few questions to see if you'd be a good match for us. If you could date one of our mothers, which would you date? Have you ever been to prison? You know that one thing you did that one time with that one person? Why did you do that? You got any yo mama jokes? Do you think Jesus was good at bowling? I don't suppose you could teach us how to dougie, per se, but could you teach us how to knit? Where do babies come from? Be specific. Sing your favorite air supply song. Do you believe in corporal punishment? How much time do you spend skipping when no one is looking? So from like one to needy, where do you fall? Did you lie about liking Celine Dion music back in 1995? Do you hear voices in your head? I don't, I don't think so, no. Hey, welcome today to all of our live churches and our network churches and those of you joining us from countries all over the world at Church Online. Also, a big shout out to LifeChurch.tv, Stillwater, Oklahoma, celebrating the 10-year anniversary today. We congratulate you and are so thankful for all that God has done over the past decade. Uh, today, we are starting a brand new message series called Friending. And I want to just say that I honestly believe that for many of you, this has the potential to be the most significant message series of the year that could impact your life in the years to come. Okay, most important message series. Oh, this could totally impact. Wow, okay, there's pretty big expectations for this sermon series. I'm hoping that it's just filled to bursting all the way to the brim and flowing over with God's Word in context, large sections of God's Word, because it's God's Word that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Are you familiar with that passage? You might want to look it up if you've never heard it. Let's continue. Because if we get our friends right, the right friends set us up for success in every area of life that matters. The flip side is true as well. If we get our friendships wrong, that can set us up for more pain, more trials, more struggles, and more destruction than I could possibly explain. In fact, I so the basis of the sermon is the concept of choose your friends wisely. Now, this is, a, I mean, this is actually a biblical passage that talks about how bad company corrupts good character. You know, I'm familiar with that particular proverb. I wonder if we'll get to that, though. Let's see. Key thought, if you're taking notes, that we'll visit and revisit again over the next four weeks would be this. Write this down. You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. 
You show me the people that you... Okay, um, what Bible verse says that? Um, yeah, I don't think there is one. ...spend the most time with, and I will clearly show you the trajectory of your life. In fact, Solomon, thousands of years ago, said the exact same thing in a different way. Proverbs 13.20 records the words of the wisest man who ever lived. And he said, walk with the wise and what do you become? All of our churches, let's all say it aloud. He said, walk with the wise and you will what? You will become wise. He said, on the other side, for a companion of fools does what? A companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, if you hang out with people who are better than you, wiser than you, smarter than you, have better marriages than you, are better with money than you, are better leaders than you, you're going to become like them and you're going to rise. They're going to help you. So better leaders, people who are better with money and wiser, huh? Hmm. That all has to do with stuff that's like temporary. You know what I'm saying? Um, maybe if I hung out with, you know, Christians who were more Christ-like, maybe I'd be more like Christ. Maybe they would encourage me to read my Bible, to understand what it says, to practice discernment, to you know hide God's word in my heart so that I may not sin against. It. You know, maybe stuff like that. You know. But notice the the litany here. Uh, we got we. You need to find friends who are better at handling money than you are, so that you can be better at handling money. You know that you know it's more successful than you are, so you can be successful, huh? And you notice he said that you know show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Well, I, I wonder what he would make of like Matthew chapter eleven, where um, verse eight, uh, sorry, verse nineteen, where Jesus says the Son of Man, that's him, came eating and drinking, and they said to him, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yeah, you know, well, well, what was his future? Well, they crucified him. Yeah, where in the Bible does it say, hang out with people who are wise and good with money so you can learn how to be wise and good with money? Notice the very temporal rather than eternal focus of this particular message that we're getting from Craig Rochelle. We continue. You rise to their level. If you hang out with a bunch of idiots, a bunch of party things. Those people who get in trouble, they're going to drag you down to where they are. You show me your friends, and I promise you, I can show you your future. In fact, as I look at my life, if there's any area of success in my life, it is directly tied to God using the right people to lead me to the right mindsets or the right actions. You show me any area of success, and I will... Now, notice worldly success, not success at the Christian life, at Christian sanctification. This is worldly success. We'll show you how God used the right people to help influence me in the right direction. On the other side, just like you, when I got into really big trouble back in earlier seasons of my life, I rarely got into trouble alone. Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay. Almost every time I was running with people doing the wrong things and allowing them to influence me in the wrong direction. You show me your friends and I will show you your future. So here's what I want to do to kind of build a foundation for you to think about as we go through the next four weeks. What I want you to do, and I want everybody to do this, all of our churches, those of you online, I want you to take a moment and list 
your closest friends. Don't think about it. Just start doing it right now. List your closest friends. Don't write down your spouse. I'm talking about outside your family. Don't write down your dog. You know, you know, don't write down your imaginary friend. I want to, the people that you can call at two in the morning, the people you can be transparent with and they know everything about you, the people that you know intimately and they know you intimately. I'm talking about your closest friends. I see some of you are not writing. I want to see you write down right now. I can feel some of you in Florida are not writing. I can feel, I've got that power. It's something that God gave me. Write down the names of your closest friends. And as you're doing so, I want to tell you something that sociologists and leadership experts have taught for years. And it is Uh, who sociologists and leadership experts. What about um, God's word and and theologians as they've delved into God's word? Yeah. Notice we're not dealing with a biblical teaching thus far. This principle. Are you ready? You are the average of your five closest friends. Said sociologists and leadership experts. Um, hmm. Were these Christian sociologists and leadership experts? I guess it wouldn't matter, would it? Hmm. We continue. In almost every area of your life, you will be somewhere in the middle, the average of your five closest friends. You write down those you're closest to and you watch. Chances are financially, you're kind of somewhere in the middle. You don't make the most money. You don't make the least money. You're kind of in the middle of the pack of the five people that you run with. Morally, okay, if you're a partier, okay, if you were stoned last night, chances are three or four of your closest friends were probably stoned too, why are you looking at me like nobody got stoned last night? Now, would that be a sin that Jesus died for? Um, I mean, if people are there at your church are getting stoned last night, um, are you going to tell them that that's sinful? Are you going to tell them that Christ died for those sins? Are you going to tell them to repent and to be forgiven for being stoned last night? Hmm? Okay. It happens, all right? It happens. There's probably somebody at our church that got stoned last night. Don't look at me like it never happens, Okay. Now, if you're pursuing God with all of your heart, chances are three or four of those people on your list are pursuing God with all their heart as well. You will be the average... Okay, first mention here of anything that might have anything to do with Christian sanctification, but it's in the context of this thing that sociologists and leadership experts taught him, not the Bible. ...of your five closest friends because you like it or not, your mom was right. You become like those you run with. Okay, yeah, uh, that's probably true. I mean, this is good sociological advice, don't you think? Um, but isn't the job of the pastor to preach the, yeah, you know, the word, the Bible? Um, you going to get around to that anytime soon, Craig? You show me your friends, and I will show you your future. And so as you look at those you listed, the question kind of arises, are you hanging with the right people? Do you want to become like those that you are with? Or would you look and say, if I really want to please God, maybe I don't have the best influences 
around me. Think now, I would agree. Um, the people attending Life Church t- TV probably don't have the best influences surrounding them, particularly their pastor, because the pastor is supposed to be modeling right, hand, right handling of God's word, in depth biblical understanding, good exegesis preaching Christ from every page of Scripture. And so, you know, if you were to think about people influencing, you know, the, the folks there at LifeChurch.tv, the head pastor being Craig Rochelle, it's clear that, you know, we're dealing with somebody who's probably negatively impacting the folks there uh, through a bad example, you know, uh, not the best of friend. You might want to, you know, find a different pastor. Think about every area of your life. You want to have a good marriage? Are you hanging with people with a good marriage? Do you want to be stronger financially? Are you hanging with people that understand how to manage money? Now, think about this, if you would. Okay, um, so you have a friend, and you, after hearing this message, and you, you have a friend who is married, and, and the marriage is a little rough. Things are not going well. They, maybe they have some financial problems, and as a result of it, the stress in the marriage has hit like the boiling point, and things aren't going well, and, and their marriage is on the skids, if you know what I mean. And uh, so after hearing this message, you as a Christian think that the godly thing to do is to go, hmm, yeah, I better dump them as a friend. And so you stop calling them, you, you unfriend them on Facebook, you no longer follow them on Twitter, and, and you, you, you delete their cell phone number out of your cell phone directory. Uh, because, you know, I mean, if you want to have a good marriage, you can't hang around with those who have a bad marriage, so you better be sure to dump them, otherwise they might have a bad impact on you. Rather than reaching out to them and trying to help them in Christian love, uh, trying to find a way for the gospel to come to bear in their marriage and for them to weather the storm and help them in that marriage so that it doesn't fail, you instead kick them to the curb. Oh, yeah, Pastor Craig Rochelle told me, you know, if I if I have friendships with people who have bad marriages, you know, that, that stuff is catching, and so it'll cause me to have a bad marriage. So you're on your own, folks. We're going to cut you free and, uh, you know, basically cut you loose. We won't be uh, talking with you because... I want to have a successful marriage, therefore I can't be of any help to you if you have a bad marriage. You you might corrupt my marriage, so I ain't hanging around you. That sound like the way Christians should operate with people in their lives who are struggling in their marriages? Doesn't sound anything remotely like it to me. Do you want to be stronger spiritually? Do you want to be in better shape? Are you hanging out with people who eat Twinkies for a hobby? Or do you hang out with... You show me your friends and I will show you your future. You are, in almost every area of your life, the average of your five closest friends. So, as you listen to the message, listen to it in light of the people you spend the most time with. Now... Let's define friendship so we can use this as a baseline definition for our uh, next few weeks. Okay, are you going to be defining it according to a clear biblical definition from the Bible? What are you going to do here? Proverbs 17, 17. Okay, so Proverbs 17, 17. We're going to get something of a Bible thing here to help us out. Okay. In the FBV says this, a friend is someone you may or may not know well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. Yeah, Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Huh. That's weird. Because that sounds like the exact opposite of what he's saying. Now, notice he's making a joke. Uh, Proverbs 17 from the FB Facebook version or whatever Listen to what he's saying. This person is born to like and comment on your post to make you feel good about yourself. 
Proverbs 17, 17 from the Facebook version. Okay, so that's not real, but you have to admit that Facebook is having a real impact on how we define friendships today. Proverbs 17, 17 from the real version says this, a friend does what? A friend, say it aloud, everybody, a friend loves at all times. What is a brother born for? A brother is born for a time of adversary. Wouldn't it be... Uh, Yeah, notice that you just said if you're hanging out with people who have a bad marriage or people who are struggling with weight addiction or are not successful financially... You're supposed to get rid of them so that because uh, they don't impact negatively your future. What you just said is the exact opposite of what Proverbs 17 says. Isn't that weird that you're reading this verse and don't even see that? Amazing. If you had a handful, maybe five, maybe six, maybe seven friends who loved you all the time, not just for a short season of your life, but I'm talking about for decades where you end up knowing their spouses and investing in their children, where there is cross-pollinization. As long as they're successful, as long as they're skinny and healthy, as long as they have a healthy marriage, right? That's what you mean, right? Spiritually, where you learn from them and they learn from you and you make each other better, that they love you enough to tell you the truth when you're doing something stupid, where they love you enough to kick you in the backside when you're about to do something that would hurt you, when they're there with you to... Now, you expect other people to do that for you when you're struggling, but you don't want to have friends to do that to, do that for when the time comes, because you you pick your five friends, you're the average of them, and he'll tell you your future, right? Celebrate in the good times, and they're there to cry with you in the times when you hurt. What if you had a community of people like that that stayed with you for decades? A friend loves at all times. The problem is, according to sociological studies, very few of us have friends like that anymore. In fact, according to the American Sociological Review, the average American today only has Two close friends. And chances are, many of you, in fact, the majority of you, when I ask you to name your closest friends, you probably put down two people, which may not seem alarming to you unless you know that just two and a half decades ago, just 25 years ago, the average American had six close friends. And in just two and a half decades, our close friendships have been cut on average by one third. And no one seems to notice or even care. What's even more scary to me is that fully 25% of Americans, one in four, report that they do not have a single close and trusted friend. Something is desperately wrong with this picture. So, friendships are declining, there's no doubt about it. Why do you think it's happening? I did a lot of research, and based on my research, I'll give you the top three reasons, not necessarily... Did you find it in the Bible? Did you find your research taking you into God's Word? ...necessarily in this order. Why are friendships declining? Number one, it's pretty obvious because of increasing work hours. We are connected all the time. We're working all the time. People are working so much, they're not developing relationships. Number two, 
Friendships are declining because of rising divorce rates. Studies show not only are divorces hard on families, but they're hard on friendships. You get this money and you get that money and he gets the kids on this day and she gets the kids on this day and he gets that friend and she gets that friend because friends then choose sides and friendships break down. Number three, and according to some, this is the top reason uh, for friendships declining. It's debatable, but it may be the case. Number three reason is this, because of the explosion of social media. The explosion of social media. Now, uh, I wanted to say up front very, very clearly that I am not against social media. There's a lot of great uses for social media. Would you agree that our church loves to leverage technology? Would you agree? Absolutely, completely, all day long. There are a lot of great benefits. I personally regularly use three different types of social media, Facebook occasionally, Twitter, Instagram. I like to stay connected with people, and there are a lot of benefits. But whatever you think about social media, you have to acknowledge that social media is redefining the way we define and how we think about friends. For example... Years ago, I can guarantee you that none of you ever thought about picking up the telephone and calling every friend that you've ever had to tell them what you're having for breakfast, <laughs> right? You don't do that. But now a lot of people think nothing of just broadcasting, I'm having oatmeal for breakfast, okay? And a lot of you will take a picture of your oatmeal to show everybody this is what you're having for breakfast. And what experts say is now... Rather than becoming more concerned about face-to-face intimate friendships, we're becoming obsessed with our online image of what people actually think we are. We'll share our heart and our thoughts and broadcast them in 140 characters or less. We'll put on Facebook a post of how we're feeling or how someone can pray about us. And then the best is we'll take a picture of ourselves, a snapshot in time. I mean, we're like, boom, a mo- moment in time. And if we don't like the lighting, we'll do it from another angle and we'll, we'll get it just right. Okay, this is probably true. I mean, sure, okay. Um, what does this have to do with Christian sanctification, sound doctrine, what God's word actually says? We've gotten one verse, one, one. Right. And then we'll put a filter on it to make it look better and we'll frame it and we'll carefully craft the perfect statement and then we'll upload a moment in time and we'll sit around and wait for our friends to like it. (laughs) Seven likes in only five minutes. Ooh, this is a good picture, okay? And, And we feel like we're connecting with other people because... Of that. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. You can stay in touch with, with other people, but it needs to be a supplement to relationships, not a replacement. And so often people are allowing it to replace the intimacy of relationships. Now, this is probably good advice. I just don't understand what it has to do with Scripture and Christian sanctification. And so what we have now is we've got people with uh, more likes, more fans, more followers, more Facebook friends, and yet they are more alone than ever before. They recognize something is missing. Something's not right. And I can't speak for any of you because I still do see significant value in social media. But the more I get involved in it, the more I 
crave face-to-face, intimate, personal depth in my relationships because it cannot be a replacement. It can only be a supplement. So let me tell you where we're going to go in the upcoming weeks. It's a long introduction, but let me tell you where we're going to go. Um, Next week's message, I'm calling One Friend Away. You are, I promise, one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. In fact, if you listed two... Wow, one friend away from changing the course of my destiny. I better go find that friend. Wow, I wonder who it is. Two or three friends, I can promise you, God wants more for you than that. And when you have the right friends, they will help lead you to the right destiny as you will do for them. And I'm going to show you the three types of friends that every one of us need from the life of King David. And I can promise you that every one of you will see a need in your life and God is going to... So we're going to have a friendship analysis. And are your friends the same kind of friends that King David had, you know, so that he can achieve his destiny? Hmm. Stir a desire to build that friendship. Week number three, I'm calling it one community away. Not only does God want us to have friends, but he wants us to have a community of friends. People that we do life with. In a world that applauds independence, be independent. Don't, don't, don't rely on anything or anyone. We are so far from the heart of God who created us not to be independent, but to be dependent. Isn't preaching without, a, without doing it exegetically, you know, actually preaching God's word, isn't that far from the heart of God for what pastors are supposed to be doing? You know, I just asked the logical question because, boy, we're getting a lot of friendship advice here based on sociologists and leadership experts and things like that. Um, Yeah, but I'm not seeing God's word being opened and preached and proclaimed. Are you? On him and on his people. Many of you are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. Week number four, I'm calling it unfriending. Because it is absolutely impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. And yet... There it is again. Get the verse he picked. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. And notice he's now previewing, you know, what's coming up in the sermon series. An important message called unfriending. You got to unfriend those people who are well dead weight anchors who are not keep letting you uh, helping you achieve your destiny. This is exact opposite of Proverbs seventeen seventeen, don't you think? Yes, we're always going to love people and always going to treat people like Christ would want us to. But sometimes Christ would draw a boundary and redefine some relationships. And we're going to learn how to love people in a safe way without a... Uh, When did Jesus draw boundaries and redefine friendships? I don't recall that passage. Can you tell me which one that is? Allowing bad company to corrupt good character. So in the weeks to come... We're going to talk about the friends that we need. Today, I want to spend our last few minutes talking about the friend that we need to be to others. I want to talk about rediscovering the lost art of friendship. And I really wrestled with what to talk about because I'd like to say about 10 or 12 different things. But I've narrowed it down to what I consider to be the most important two greatest needs that I see based on my interactions with people in our world today. Greatest needs based on your interaction with people, not with your interaction with the written word of God. Got it. 
discovering the lost art of friendship. Two thoughts if you're taking notes. The first things I want to beg you with all of my heart to learn to be present. To be present. In fact, if you don't mind, would you just repeat this after me? Everybody say this aloud. Everybody say, I will develop my friendships face-to-face, not just thumbs-to-thumbs. Okay, I will develop my friendships face-to-face, not just thumbs-to-thumbs. Okay, or four-finger-to-four-finger for those of you that are one-finger typers, okay? Face-to-face, not thumbs-to-thumbs. And not belly-button-to-belly-button. That's for your spouse, not for your friends. We are good friends, but not friends with that kind of benefits. You guys are really quiet. I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm up, I'm up here having fun. You guys are sitting here. Now, that was an allusion to sexual sin. And so the solution for those of you who are experiencing, uh, 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 well, a confusion regarding how you should behave as Christians, uh, what God's will is for you sexually, and you have you know, not only thumbs-to-thumbs friendships, but also belly-button-to-belly-button hinting at friends with benefits, which would be sinful. Oh, the solution is you just promising not to do that. Well, if you've engaged in friends with benefits, you've committed a sin. It's a deep and grievous sin, not only against God, but also against your own body, one that you need to repent of and to be forgiven of. And the good news is that Christ died for all of those sins. So repent and be forgiven. But rather than say that, he always just wants you to commit to this thing that he's come up with. And how many passages of Scripture so far? One, and I thought I heard another one zing through really quickly. Just in passing, but he didn't actually reference it. He just kind of said it. We continue. They're like, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, so so we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be face to face because presence matters. When you think about this, when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, "Here's a book about me. Go study it." What did he do? He said, "Hey, come follow me." In other words, let's. Yeah, that's great and all, but um, since Jesus isn't around for me to follow, um, where's the only place I can go to find out about who Jesus is and what he's done? The written word of God. We continue. Let's do life together. Let's journey together. Let's, let's wake up in the morning, have breakfast together. Let's get to know each other as we travel from one community to the other. The best way I can impart the love of my Father to you is to be with you and have you be with me. Let's be present with one another. In fact, what's really interesting in my research, I found, is that our children and parents... And where did Jesus say, hey, let's be present with one another? Yeah, I'm not familiar with that passage. You need to hear this. Our children are more dissatisfied with their parents' obsession with technology in general than parents are dissatisfied with their children's obsession. Okay? It's not to say that parents are doing it more. That's probably not the case. But the children are more dissatisfied because they want your attention. And when they want it, they can't get it because you are on Pinterest ready to change the world with your latest recipe. Oh, you have no idea how great this is going to be. I mean, this is going to like change our family forever. Hey, mom, 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 wait, 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 wait. Someone just posted something on Facebook. Woo. Okay. And, and they are 
extremely distraught because you are not available. How many times do you go to a restaurant and you see a family of four or five sitting there all together and what are they doing? All of them. Be present. Be present. The the writer to the Hebrews said something that has been true throughout history and couldn't have been any more prophetic for our time at this moment in history. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the writer said, let us think of ways to motivate one another toward acts of love and good works. Now, what a great thing to do. When's the last time you've got together with your friends? Yeah, and all of that is in light of the gospel. Hello? Um, You're just ripping verses out of context to fit into your friendship sermon rather than actually teaching what God's Word teaches are the fruits of the Holy Spirit produced in our life through the reading of God's Word and through the gospel. We're just getting advice here. Strip mind from the Bible without any context. Friends go, hey, hey, let's do something significant in this world. How can we go serve someone in the name of Jesus? Hey, hey, where can we go just to, to, to make God's love known? Let's, let's spur one another on to good works and acts of love. And then he goes on to say, and let us not neglect our what? Everybody say it aloud. And ne- let us not neglect our meeting together. Okay. This word in the Greeks used two times in the Bible, only two times. Yes, and, and that, it means to meet. That meeting together is church, coming together as the church. Meet physically with a spiritual purpose. Let us not neglect our meeting together with a spiritual purpose, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us not give up meeting together. You see, there is power in presence. There is power in physical presence. In fact, again, that text from Hebrews is not about friendship. It's about church. I learned this uh, years ago when the church was just barely getting started. I was 28 years of age, and my oldest daughter, Katie, was three years of age at the time. And I went to do kind of my first tragic death pastoral experience where a family lost a three-year-old uh, little girl, their daughter. And I was scared spitless. I mean, I was so nervous. I was young and, and hadn't done that kind of thing before. And I didn't know what to say. And I prayed, God, help me to do it right. And I walked in and I tanked, man. I choked. I saw the family and I thought, I mean, I was feeling the pain because of my daughter's age. And I just started crying. I walked up and I cried and they cried and I cried and they cried. And it was an ugly cry, you know, snot, you know, the whole thing, just ugly cry. And at the end of, after all this crying, I never said anything to them. The only thing I could do was some like weak prayer. And then I walked down the room and I got in my car and I'm like, well, you suck as a pastor. Okay, I'm going to point out here, Hebrews 10.25 is what he uh, read. We're going to look at it in context so that you can see what's going on. He's ripped this passage out of context, completely strip-minded from its context within the gospel, and it's pointing to church, um, and is now basically, you know, by taking it out of its context, is fitting it into this sermon, if you can call it that, about, well, um, friendship. Hebrews 10, verse 19 is where we will start applying our three sound rules for biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, right there's the gospel, by the new and living way that he opened for us, the curtain that is that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Notice verse 24 is in the context of the gospel, being washed and purified, free from an evil conscience through the shed blood of Christ. So let us then consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. This isn't friendship. This is brotherly love. This is brotherly, sisterly love in because of the fact that we are all bought and purchased by the shed blood of Christ. Who are we encouraging to go to good work, you know, into in good works? Our brothers and sisters. So let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Ta-da! Just put it back in context and you see what's going on. This isn't about friendship. Uh, this is about brothers and sisters in Christ meeting together and spurring each other on in good works. You, you, here they are in their great time of need, and that's all you could do. And I got what's one of the nicest notes a few days later from this family I will never forget. They said, you have no idea what your visit meant. When you walked in the room, we felt like God was showing us how much he loved us and that he was going to be there for us. And here's what they said. I never will forget. They said, everything you said was just perfect. I didn't say anything. Okay? I didn't say a word. But in their mind, it wasn't, it was, my presence said everything that needed to be said. There's something about presence that is incredibly powerful. When I was hurting um, a while back, the, the stress of the church had me down, and physically I was, I was, just, I was hurting. And um, Amy sent out a text to our life group and said, would you pray for Craig? He's really in, a, in, he's in need right now. Well, a couple people texted me and said, we're praying for you. And that meant so much. But there was one couple who said, uh, responded immediately, uh, we're coming over, you can't stop us, we'll be there in 15 minutes, and we're coming to pray for you. And i got to tell you, when people pr- said they were praying for me, that meant a lot. But when a couple came over and grabbed our hands and called on the name of our God together, there was something different about that. It was, it was so much more powerful than praying for me when they got together and prayed with me. There's something that happens when two or three gather together in his name. There's something about his presence and his goodness. There's something that happens when someone just doesn't send you an email like, hey, I believe in you, you're doing good. That means something. But when someone looks you in the eye and says, I see something great, in you. I believe God can do more. There's something that happens when someone gets on a plane and travels across the country to be with you when you're grieving and just to be there in your presence and hold you when you're hurting. There's something about someone who comes to watch your kid get an award and says, your kid is important to me and they're there physically with you. There's something about presence. Be present. Now, I, this is not bad advice. This is pretty good advice. This is not what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 is about. And I'm not talking about just physically present, but also emotionally 
present because you can be there but not be there. Right? In fact, I've got some uh, young staff members. I, I really like these guys. They're 22, 23, 24 years old. And they get together once a week for lunch. And they, they go out together to literally encourage one another in the things of God. And what they do when they get there is they all have an agreement. They take their cell phones. They put them face down in the middle of the table. And they say, for the next hour, all of you are the priority. Not what is coming into my phone, but those that I am with. Okay? I wonder... How different your family, how different your friendships, how different you would be if you made the people that you were with the priority. Put the thing down and look at those who are there. Be present. Let us not give up the power and the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. The first thing I want to encourage you to do with everything in me is be present. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Get open. Open up. Be transparent. In fact, experts say there is a new phobia that's one of the fastest growing phobias in the world. Do you know what this phobia is, this new phobia? The new and fastest growing phobia is this, the fear of talking on the telephone. Okay? You laugh, but a lot of you, when your phone rings... You let it go to voicemail, and then you text them back. You listen to the voicemail later on. And the reason people are afraid of talking on the phone is because they cannot control the direction of the conversation. When someone texts you, what can you do? Oh, him again. I'll deal with this later. And you're in control. And you think about what you want to say. You can type it out. You can edit it. You can delete it. You can carefully craft your response and you're in control. On the phone, you're not in control because you don't know where the conversation is going to go. And it's even funnier to me is that they're saying now, because people don't know how to talk on the phone, they don't even know how to get off the phone. They don't know how to end the conversation. So they don't want to talk on the phone. Then they get on there like, okay. And they're breathing, you know, because they don't know how to get off. Okay. (laughs) Which is really interesting. Because now people do not know how to share their hearts. They can be somewhat controlled, open on a post on Facebook, but they do not know how to do it face to face. Get open. Be transparent. In fact, there's no verse that's more powerful, perhaps, than James 5.16 that says this. Confess your sins to whom? Somebody help me out. Confess your sins to each other. Not just to God, but to people. And pray for what? Pray for each other so that what's going to happen to you when you do this? When you confess your sins to trusted believers and pray for each other, what are you? The Bible says you may be healed. How different would... Now, let me read James 5 in context. I'll start at verse 13 again. Context, context, context. Notice it says confessing our sins. This isn't talking about phone phobia. This is talking about something that Christians do with each other. Why? Because in confessing our sins, we also then proclaim the forgiveness of sins in Christ. James 5.13, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, 
confess your sins to one another. Notice it says, therefore. Why? Because your sins are going to be forgiven. Because your sins are going to be forgiven, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Yeah, you see what's going on there? And he's just strip-minded, again, taking away the gospel. That just got washed away in these principles that he's found by strip-mining the Bible here. And he's turning this passage, uh, confessing your sins to one another, as a means of overcoming the fear of talking on the telephone. That's not what this text is about. Would you be spiritually, if you get together with your trusted, intimate Christian friends, and you say, man, I am struggling with anger. My parents made me so mad, I just can't deal with it anymore. And then you talk about it, and they give you godly advice, and they pray for you, and they encourage you. Think about how different you would be. Here's the thing. You may want to jot this down. This is so important. We, We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. It's so good, I want to say it again. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. It's when we're transparent. It's when we're vulnerable. It's when we drop the online persona and and, and the... Yeah, I I know you think that's profound. Again, where was that found in the Bible? Uh, Yeah, this isn't really a biblical sermon now, is it? And we say, here's what I'm going through, man. Here's what, here's what makes me afraid. Here's where we're struggling in our marriage. Here's the temptation that I can't seem to overcome. Here's the fear that I continue to have. It's, it's that we say, oh, I'm like that too. Or, oh, I'm like that. And, and suddenly we start to connect. And there's an intimate connection when we're transparent. In fact, one of my favorite stories about transparency, years ago I was traveling and I was in a connecting airport somewhere. I went into the um, men's bathroom because... Even pastors have to go just once a month or so, you know. And so, just, you know, so I walked in the bathroom and I looked there and on the ground by the toilet was a, a Playboy lingerie magazine. Now, I wish as your pastor I could think, well, who left that vile magazine in the bathroom? But honestly, what my first thought was kind of like, you know, a ninth grade boy was like, whoa, I wonder what's in there, okay? And... I mean, I'm just being honest. And, and it, it, thankfully, kind of right after that thought is like, you know, walk away, get away, run, run away. Run, Forrest, run. You know, and so that's, that's what I did. I ran out like, don't give me, you know, don't open up. And, you know, and, and so I got, I, you know, I know that might disappoint some of you. I'm sorry. I, I was a man long before I was a pastor. And it's just, that's just the truth. And so I told the church that the next weekend when I was talking about overcoming temptation. And so that night there was a life group meeting of um, uh, kind of young college and career age um, uh, students. And uh, one of the guys said, well, since Pastor Craig talked about that, I'm going to tell you, he said, I struggle with um, pornography and masturbation. I've never told anyone this. My, my whole life has been a battle. There was this first time girl there that had never been to a small group before. She was a brand new Christian. She looked all like, they're going to kill him because that's what Christians do to people like that. Now, this is the best part of this sermon. And I, and I mean that in a positive light. I really mean this is the best part of the sermon coming up. The, the, the sadness about this that best part of the sermon coming up is it's a demonstration of the gospel without proclaiming the gospel. Listen closely to what happens next. But instead, 
they embraced this guy. And they, even the girls, they like prayed for him and they showed compassion. And she was so moved because she had a three-year-old daughter and she paid the bills by actually was a stripper. And she hated it. She, she hated it. And she just opened up and started crying. She said, I'm a new Christian. I know this is wrong. I wish I didn't have to do it. It's the only way I can pay the bill. And guess what happened? That life group, first time she was there, one guy said, hey, hey, if you quit your job, I'll chip in to help pay the bills. And someone else said, I'll do the same thing. And suddenly this whole group got excited and said, you will help pay your bills until you get another job. And the very next day, that's exactly what she did. She walked in, quit her job. On Thursday of the next week, she got a new job. And now this lady helps get other girls out of the industry because of a group of people that loved her enough to help her become who God wanted her to be. Now, it's a little bit more than that if we're really talking about Christians here. Because what they did, that what they should have been doing is saying, Listen, Christ died for your, these sins, and we are, as your Christian brothers and sisters, are going to help you. The gospel got missed in the story. It's kind of just implied, but it's there. I mean, this is a, this is a beautiful story of Christians helping another Christian out of a sinful way of earning a living and helping her to live a life that's honoring to Christ. And that's all possible because of the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus, who was the friend of sinners, who is and continues to be the friend of sinners, sinners like me, like you. And that's what got missed in this. Sad. Again, that's the best part of the sermon right there. How did that happen? That happened face to face and in the power of transparency. Because people connect through weakness. Not in the power of the gospel, but the power of transparency. Big difference. I can't tell you how much I believe God wants you to hear this message. You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And listen, if you don't have a lot of friends, your future is not what God wants it to be. Because we were not created to be independent and on our own, but we were created to know Him and be dependent on Him and be dependent on His people because we are incomplete without His body and His church. And the good news is, no matter where you are, God can bring the right people into your life, but it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen on purpose if you'll be open to what God wants to do. Father, I pray today that your spirit would do it. Okay, so that's the end of it. He's praying, and I'm not going to let him pray. Sad, isn't it? He has a lot in common with Jesse Duplantis, the guy who you know told us a lot of life stories. Out of context, did we really learn anything about what God's Word really says when we took a look at those passages that he quoted in context? No, in fact, the primary text, Proverbs 17, 17, contradicted his main point. Absolutely sad. Tragic. What gets lost in this? True Christian sanctification and bearing fruit of repentance, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives that comes only through the preaching of the gospel, not the strip mining of God's word to give us life tips and principles to make our lives better and more successful. That's not Christian sanctification. That's something completely different. So what would you think? 
love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.